welcome to the Asherah Grove, where we discuss the intersection of women, divinity, and power within the context of Mormonism. I'm your host, Suzette Smith. listeners. I hope everyone's doing well. I'm recording on Veterans Day. Um, and I'm going to be talking today about General Women's Conference. Again, I decided after speaking my thoughts on Elder Oaks and Elder Irene's talks, I better put my money where my mouth is and talk about the women who spoke in General Women's Conference. We hear very little from women in General Conference. And so Let's talk about three of the women who did speak, and this is going to be the general women's session. We heard from three women, and um, I want to talk about their remarks today. So that's what we're going to be focusing on. We heard from uh, President Jones. She is the general primary president. We heard from uh, President Craig of the Young Women and President Franco, who's also in the primary. President Jones was the first to speak, and again, she's the general primary president right now. And she talked about personal or seeking personal revelation in how to serve. Personal revelation happens to be one of my most favorite gospel topics. In my own life, learning to seek personal revelation has been uh, one of the most important things in my own spiritual health. So it's something that I uh, study and think about, and whenever there's a talk on personal revelation, I usually am drawn to it. Uh, President Jones talks about seeking personal revelation um, in your service activities, not to please other people, not to make the bishop happy, but rather to simply serve God. And I really like this sentiment. I do think that our service is best when we when we are focused on God and how God can guide us in that service or in decisions we might be making in our lives. Certainly, I guess good deeds are not bad when you're checking off a box or trying to make someone else happy, but it's certainly more meaningful, more powerful when you are focused on following revelation from God and uh, serving God by serving others. When we're trying to do this and we're trying to really seek revelation and how we should live our lives or serve other people, we need to look inside and, and lean to our own authority, not the bishop's authority or someone else's authority around us, but look inside to what our own authority is, is telling us and teaching us and how God is speaking to us directly. Finding my own internal authority has been a pretty powerful thing in my life it it was new to me in some ways as I became an adult because obviously when you're young or when you're a child, you do look to outside authority often. And in the LDS culture, of course, it's <clears throat> it's kind of a given that we look to outside authority to direct our actions. So turning more inward and seeking authority for myself and how God directs me has been a really powerful journey. And I hope for all of you out there listening that you are finding the same thing as you you turn inward and try to increase the way God speaks to you. 
um, and I hope you find that powerful. Let me quote from President Jones. A personal relationship with the Savior can unchain the divinity within us. And I really like this because it goes to what I'm talking about. When you develop that um, one-on-one relationship with God and understand how God speaks to you, you sort of unlock inside of yourself your own divinity and you can move forward confidently. She then quotes uh, one of my most favorite scriptures, which is Doctrine and Covenant 636. Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. I do believe that as we come to have a personal relationship with God, that we will doubt less. We will doubt the voice, we will doubt the things around us, and we can move forward a lot more confidently. And we'll also fear less because we aren't as worried about what other people around us are thinking about the ways we choose to serve, the path we choose to walk, because those are coming from within. We are looking to God in every thought, so we do not need to fear and we do not need to doubt. And we certainly don't need to doubt our own internal voice. Um, and then we can move confidently. We can do hard things, etc. cetera. <clears throat> uh, President Julie Beck actually, in my opinion, gave one of her finest talks on personal revelation. And so I looked back to that talk when I was putting my thoughts together to speak about personal revelation uh, on today's podcast. That talk is in April of 2010, and it's called Upon My Handmaids, I Will Pour Out My Spirit. And I'll just quote a piece of this um, to you. She's talking about the Relief Society Sisters of the Church, and she says, the questions sisters ask are serious and insightful. They articulate uneasiness about the future, sorrow for unrealized expectations, some indecision, the diminished feelings of self-worth. They also reflect a desire to do what is right. How does a woman answer these questions? And then her answer to that is personal revelation. She goes on. A woman knows that she does not have enough time, energy, or opportunity to take care of all the needs around her and do all the worthy things that she might desire. Life is not calm for most women, and each day seems to require the accomplishment of a million things, most of which are important. How does a woman choose and prioritize? And again, she answers, personal revelation. <clears throat> this is all um, great. Personal revelation, looking within is great. But the question that comes to my mind so often is, well, how do we do it? You know, How do we know what voice is the right voice? What is the Holy Ghost speaking to us and really have that confidence? This has been a question that's been on my mind a long time. I remember in my undergraduate years, I was at BYU and I saw a religion class. I think it was titled like following the voice of the Holy Ghost or understanding the voice of the Holy Ghost. Anyway, it was a class about, but basically about personal revelation and, uh, and hearing the, the voice of, of God. And I was like, that is the class for me. I am signing up for this religion class. <coughs> and I am going to finally figure this out. This class is going to teach me this is the voice of God and this is not the voice of God. And I just was so sure that I could just finally figure it out, learn it, and then I could just move forward in my life knowing the answer to this question. Of course, the class did not teach me that specifically. And I was further frustrated by learning that I, Suzette, was the one who had to 
practice and learn to hear the voice of God in my own life. And so it has been throughout my life, uh, learning day by day how to hear God's voice in my own life. So I wish I had an easy answer for all of you on how to know that you're receiving personal revelation, but I don't. However, I do have a list of ideas that I'm going to read off. Uh, Many are from other conference talks from other authorities in the church that, um, that was kind of funny that I just said other authorities in the church. And then I just told you earlier to listen to your own authority. My point is, is that these people have given some ideas. So I am going to list these ideas and, um, Grab whatever resonates with you. If any of these resonate with you, try it out. See how it goes. Uh, I do think personal revelation is personal and it takes some time, but maybe some of these uh, will resonate. I found a talk from Elder Scott about personal revelation that I liked. And one of the things he said was yielding to emotions such as anger or hurt or defensiveness will drive away the Holy Ghost. Careful, quiet speech will favor the reception or receipt of revelation. And I I like this idea. I don't think we have to go around our whole day being silent, but I do think that finding quiet moments where we can meditate and we can think and we can pray uh, does open us up to the voice of God and hearing what God might have to say to us True meditation is not really a part of the Mormon practices. It's something that I've learned on the side, uh, mostly through apps on my iPhone that teach meditation. But I have found that quieting the mind and focus on the breath uh, does help throughout my day to be quiet. So whether you're meditating or simply taking a rest or Uh, maybe reading scriptures or praying, I do think that finding some time in the day to do this can help uh, with personal revelation. Um, He also mentions good health practices. And I thought that was an interesting one, that if we do spend some time thinking about the health of our bodies and improving wherever we are with our bodies and improving that, whether it's more exercise or better food, I I do think that when our bodies are feeling well, that um, our spirit can receive revelation. So wherever you are with your body, maybe try one new thing to improve your health. The other thing that Elder Scott uh, mentions is that the Holy Ghost can bring things to our remembrance. And I have found this to be true in my life. So many times I, you know, I sit through church meetings or I read scriptures or I try and read holy books, whether they're Mormon or not Mormon, but books about, about God and spiritual things. And then there are moments when I do, when I'm searching for an answer and I do feel like these things that I've read are recalled to me. And I think that's a blessing and a gift. And I do think that that is part of personal revelation is having things recalled to your memory. So I would say, you know, never waste an opportunity to read something, attend a lecture, add more knowledge to your mind, because you never know when a piece of, you know, that will come back to you in a time of indecision, and you may use that information to move you forward. So ask God and ask um, the Holy Ghost, who I like to call the Holy Sister, because I think of her as a girl, as a woman. Uh, So ask the Holy Sister if she will 
um, bring something to your remembrance. Even as you're reading the scriptures, perhaps you'll be reminded of a story you read or a moment that something hit you in a certain way. And I think that that is an important way to receive personal revelation. I want to move on to some remarks from Elder Bednar. He uh, says in one of his talks, he gives two examples, and I think it's important to remember that revelation can come in different ways. He gives two examples. One is turning on a light switch. And as soon as you walk into a dark room and you hit the light, I mean, the whole room is just like, bam, illuminated and everything is clear. It goes from very dark and shadowy to very clear. The other example is the sun rising. So if you're sitting outside in the dark and you're there in the morning as the sun is coming up, you know that the light just sort of like, uh, comes out very softly and usually you start to see more definition around trees and plants and houses and then of course as the sun comes up in full things become brighter and brighter and I do think that that's a good way to think about revelation there are certainly times when I think we get this like blast when we're like oh we should do that and there are other times when answers or ways to reach out to other people sort of unfold and sort of take shape a little bit over time. So think about that as you're seeking your own personal revelation. Uh, there's a talk from Barbara Thompson, who previously served in the General Relief Society presidency, and, and she gives three steps, which are desire, ask in faith, and keep the commandments. I do think that desire is important. We have to want to know God. We have to want to hear uh, the voice of God. So cultivating a desire within yourself, then having faith and asking um, and keeping the commandments. Um, I could probably do a whole podcast on how I feel about <clears throat> keeping the commandments as a requirement for blessings, but we won't go there today. I'll just leave it out there for you. Finally, Elder Uchtdorf gave a talk on personal revelation, and um, he tells us that God knows all truth. And that God has given his children the promise that we can know truth. And we know from the scriptures, I think First uh, Nephi tells us that, you know, if we seek for it, we can obtain the mysteries of the kingdom. For me, one of the things I've long wanted to understand are just more clarity on doctrines of the gospel or doctrines of truth and understanding how things should fit together. And I've often looked at the scripture in Nephi where he says that the mysteries of the kingdom will be unfolded to those who seek them. And I've still not figured it all out, but I do feel like I have had some insights that have been important to me and that scripture continues to resonate. Uh, of course, there's the famous scripture in Matthew that says, you know, knock and it shall be opened unto you. So it's just a way of um, reminding us that uh, God is there and if we want to knock and uh, seek at the door that things can be opened unto us. The final comment uh, from Elder Uchtdorf, he gives again a little trio of uh, ways to receive revelation. First is search the word of God, consider and ponder, and then ask, which is what we've been talking about. But he adds in the search the word of God. So you know, reading the scriptures, reading other books, um, then consider it, ponder it, think it over, allow that inner authority, that inner voice, I think, uh, to sort of percolate and, and grow and then ask and, uh, and see, um, what we, what we hear in return. There is one talk that I, I feel like is a bit of a caution for 
me that I'm going to just talk about. And that's Elder Oaks talk called two lines of communication. It troubled me at the time I heard it. And probably some of you remember it. He talks about personal revelation and how it couples with revelation to the church or what he calls the priesthood line versus the personal line. And he says, we cannot communicate reliably through the direct personal line if we are disobedient or out of harmony with the priesthood line. And I don't know how I feel about that. I I don't think I like it very much, which is why I call this a caution. So many of us in, in the Elias faith <clears throat> are taught that our uh, the priesthood line or the words that come down through the sustained prophets are going to trump anything that we might hear internally. And it's been my personal experience that that, that isn't true. Um, so you take it for you know where you are in the gospel and take it for what it's worth. But I would just say, you know, you can only know inside yourself what is right and what is true for you. And that to me would trump anything outside. I do think that if we're going to be part of the LDS community, that it's not a bad idea to listen to our leaders and be thoughtful and hear what they have to say. But to allow that to trump your inner voice, for me, I would just be careful of that. But pray about it. (laughs) See what you think. All right. uh, One last scripture, and this might be my favorite scripture of all. And it it was found throughout many of the talks on personal revelation. And it comes from Doctrine and Covenants uh, 121, verse 45 and 46. Let thy bowels be full of charity toward all women and the household of faith, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. The doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion. And I like that because it gives an image of power and confidence. It says that if we are full of charity and we're letting virtue garnish our thoughts, whatever that means to you, that we can have the confidence to walk in the presence of God, to hear the voice of God, that the doctrines will distill um, upon us like the dews of heaven. And to me, that means that like it is everywhere. It's all around you and it sort of sticks to you. It clings to you. And I think you can have confidence in that. And of course, if the Holy Ghost is our constant companion, then we can feel power and confidence. (laughs) Okay. Before I, before I let, uh, President Jones talk go, I want to just mention something that I found a little bit funny. She starts off, um, the talk with a story about how she and her husband were delivering cookies to these inactive members of the church in hopes to get to know them and perhaps bring them back into the fold. And her quote is, it was clear that they did not want visitors from the church. So what did we do? Well, we came back, of course. That struck me very funny because what do we do as Mormons when someone doesn't want us around? Well, we bake another batch of cookies and we keep coming back. Well, on the flip side of that, so many true believing Mormons get frustrated with uh, less active Mormons who don't want to, quote unquote, leave the church alone, <laughs> but they're the ones that just keep coming back. I think it's just inbred in us as Mormons to never leave anything alone. So whether we're in or out of the church or somewhere in between, we just never leave stuff alone. 
I just kind of found that funny. But we're going to leave now the talk of President Jones, and I will leave those ideas of personal revelation with you and move on to just see uh, <clears throat> President Craig's talk. Now, she's in the Young Women's Presidency, and she coined this sort of new term called divine discontent that people have been talking about. And I, I like the I like the term divine discontent. Divine get discontent is essentially the gap between where we are and where we want to be. So divine discontent kind of calls us to this higher way. It motivates us to do better and to be better. And I, I like the idea. I like reaching for the best within us. I like reaching and striving to uh, to grow and be better. And has the way I see it, the way she describes it, I want to kind of draw a picture here of a you know line where we are trying to bridge this gap of divine discontent. So what I'm going to visualize is that the person that we are, we're on the left-hand side of this picture, and the person that we want to be is on the right-hand side. And so the idea would be to step into this space and walk towards the right-hand side of the picture where the person we want to be and, and close that gap by moving from left to right. And that's what I think that President Craig is talking about. For the purposes of this podcast, I wanted to just reframe this idea a little bit. Um, there's not anything hugely wrong with, I think, what President Craig is framing. But I, just because of my life experience, have a, a, I just want to frame it a little different. So you let me know. Uh, comment on this podcast or on the Facebook page, the Asherah Grove, and let me know what you think about this idea. And I propose that the a healthier way to close the gap would actually be to move from right to left. And in doing this, we now pull the illusion of what we should be on the right and pull that towards us to who we are on the left. Um, I've heard of this gap before with my time talking to therapists. Um, I have known it as the pain gap. And this pain, meaning that the pain that it's created by knowing the person we are and having that be at a distance from the person we feel like we should be or we want to be. And so there's the, the discontent or this pain that exists be between the two things. So... Um, I like the idea of taking who we should be and letting go of that idea and just pulling everything towards us in a more honest way so that we can walk forward. I think that when we are small children, we learn what is acceptable to our families and our communities, and we create that persona, and we understand what is not acceptable, and we either put that away somehow. Let me read to you... Uh, some of the words are a parable about this very idea from um, an author named Robert Bly. He tells the story of our lives with a metaphor, a story of a long invisible bag that we drag behind us, a place where we can hide unacceptable things. Sometime in our early childhood, this is Bly speaking, we recognize and we realize that the world can be a diff difficult place. We put in this bag what our families, our friends, and our culture deems as unacceptable. By high school, the pressures of life have caused us to stuff this bag pretty full, and we put parts of ourselves away. We may develop a significant internal split. 
the so-called bad is tucked away and the so-called good becomes the persona. Life batters and shapes us in all sorts of ways before it is done. But those original selves, which we were born with and which we continue to be, still echo with the highest holiness of that original origin. I believe that in Genesis, it suggests that this is the original self, with the print of God's thumb still upon us, and this original self is still the most essential part of who we are. In midlife, we are required to look inside this bag if we haven't yet. Opening the bag brings freedom and wholeness. It takes courage and often the help of others, but we can open it. And we will find that we have a very unique story, written in the context of our own families and our own communities. I believe that God really wants to see us and know us, even the darkest parts of us. After they sinned, God greeted Adam and Eve in the garden with these words, Where are you? And the Spirit asked that same question of us now, Where are you? It may take a lifetime to answer, but God is committed to finding us, to loving us, and to restoring us. So those are, uh, that's what Robert Bly had to say. And I, I just like that metaphor, the idea, the idea that we have this bag that we drag around of all the unacceptable things and that the work of our lives may be to stop the hiding, to let go of the persona, to stand before God and other people with our whole selves, our dark selves and our, and our light selves and, uh, and be the person that we actually are. So for me, I, try to honor myself by not putting up the mask. Um, and this is things I'm learning. It's very terrifying work, I will say, if you want to dive into that work, maybe with a therapist or a friend, and um, and learn to be really radically honest. It can be rewarding work. Uh, it is pulling the self that we should be and want to be, like I said earlier, and bringing that towards us to create this whole person. So I think if we can close this gap of divine discontent from the right to the left, then we can be a whole person and then we can walk forward into the future, into a vision, into where we want to be, but we're not trying to close some gap. Um, let me just talk a little bit more about the gap <clears throat> because I think that it can be unhealthy for a couple of reasons if we do try and reach from left to right. I hope this image is... <laughs> hanging in there with you and sort of reach out toward the should be side. First of all, for some of us, if we're talking within the LDS context, that should be side is just a non-reality. If we're single or childless or disabled or gay or divorced, like the should be side is just a non-reality. So we're ever sort of reaching and striving to close the gap or we're having visions of the next life when the gap can be closed and it's been my experience that the gap simply just fills up with pain because it can't be bridged and it can't be filled. So then we have, again, this pain gap. Of course, even if this sort of should be side of the gap um, is a reality, and perhaps you are a heterosexually married in the temple person with children, we still have this idea that uh, we should be better than we are. Perhaps we should be more committed to service, to genealogy. Um, perhaps we think we're not the right kind of mother or father. 
but we're continually reaching um, and maybe we find it for a brief time, but you know, this gap continues to fill us with discontent and with pain. Now, of course, we soothe this pain with all kinds of troubling things and addictions and overspending and overeating and debting and drinking and gambling and sex and drugs. And all those things are wonderful ways to soothe the pain gap. But I would suggest that if we have the courage to be honest with ourselves, we can close that gap by, by, uh, by being who we truly are. That's just uh, my way of looking at this divine discontent idea, reframing it a little bit. If it uh, resonates with you, I hope that you'll grab hold of it and and try and um, let go of the should be's and, and be honest with who you are. Just I'll return to the actual you know idea that President Craig has of d- divine discontent because I don't think it's a bad idea on its face. I just think that we may need to frame it in ways that work for us. I was talking to a friend uh, yesterday and sort of telling her about what I had planned for the podcast. And she said, well, I actually like the idea of having a gap because for her, the idea of growing and expanding and becoming bigger to fill the gap resonated with her. And so she doesn't want to close the gap the way I do and and be sort of whole and, and honest. She actually wants to sort of grow and expand to fill the gap. And that's another way to look at it. Um, I think that we go back to personal revelation. We can lay our own personal revelation on these ideas and and have them teach us in ways that are meaningful. Um, But that was my idea of divine discontent. And that's the way that framing it for me works the best and is the most healthy. I want to uh, share two final notes on President Craig's talk. Let me see. Where's the quote? Oh, so she she's talking about um, the things that are left behind when we try to become better. And she uses the examples of dishes and emails and all personal type of things. And then the examples she uses for moving forward were all things of service. And I just that didn't sit quite right with me because I personally have to have my dishes done before I am fit to do anything. I like to have my personal affairs in order. I feel like that makes me feel more relaxed and able to give the remaining resources I have. So I think it's a balance. I think we need to be careful not to set aside all of our personal needs just to move forward and serve, but that sometimes it is important to look inward, to spend time on ourselves and, um, get our own affairs in order before we move forward. Um, The final thought on President Craig is she did tell the story of the loaves and the fishes, which I absolutely love and feel like is a beautiful story from the life of Jesus. So as we're thinking about how we can become better and grow into um, the women and the men that we want to be in this life, whether we're walking forward with our real selves or growing and expanding to fill up the gap, whatever we're doing. I like to think of putting our loaves and our fishes, these small ways in which we give, you know, on the altar, dedicate them to Christ or to a higher power and um, let that higher power work to multiply and bless our efforts. So that's um, what I have to say about President Craig's talk. I'm going to leave that and move on to the final female speaker, which is President Franco. 
She's also in the primary presidency, and she spoke of the joy of service. She opens her talk with an interesting choice of a story. She tells about a teacher, a primary teacher that she had when she was young who used to um, bake a chocolate cake and bring it to church to share with the kids. And um, she later learns that this woman make this cake at great personal sacrifice, that she had very little money and had to choose between taking the bus to church or spending the money on the ingredients for the cake. And week after week after week, she walked to church instead of taking the bus and used the money for the cake, which I think is a beautiful story of love, but again, doesn't completely sit right with me because this woman she made a 100% choice of continual sacrificing of herself. And I don't think it's necessarily bad for us to take the bus sometimes. I think if we need to take the bus and rest our legs and go to church and not bring a cake, that it's okay. We can bring a cake sometimes and we can take time for ourselves sometimes. So while I appreciate the generosity of this woman baking a cake, I don't think that we need to make that choice every single time and that we can have a balance. So I'll just leave that out there. And I wanted to focus on the story that she told about the widow's might. This is also one of my most favorite stories from the life of Jesus and his ministry. Um, and I'll read the, the story in Luke chapter 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say unto you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings before God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. And we know this story that this, this widow comes in her poverty and drops in two mites and Jesus sees it and says that she puts in more than, than everyone else because she's giving all that she has. The word that stuck out to me in this story this particular time was the word abundance. And it's used to talk about financial abundance and the financial abundance of the uh, the other people who are dropping in larger sums of money into the treasury. Uh, but I think there is there are other kinds of abundance or certainly an abundant way of living. And I believe that it's actually the widow who is living the life of abundance and because she lives a life of abundance, she is able to give all that she has. Now, in this context, it's financial means. And I do think abundance can include financial means, but I don't think it has to. I think that we are able to give all we have if we can live an abundant life. For me, I believe that maybe this widow saw her life as full. Perhaps she had children who loved her and she loved them. Perhaps she had consistent work, which means that she had, you know, consistent money that was coming in. Perhaps she had a community that was loving and giving. And perhaps she had all of her material needs basically taken care of. And so she saw the life that she had as full and abundant. So when she went to the temple, she was able to give um, all of herself or all of her money, as it were in this story, because she viewed her life as an abundant life. She perhaps took each day and saw it as full and saw the blessings. And looking at the story in this way, I, I think we can learn a lot from it. And 
perhaps try and see our own lives as full and abundant in the ways that they are, and then be able to serve or give to others in in more powerful ways. There's a poem, it's called Just for This Day, and I know it's often read in 12-step meetings around the country, and I find it inspiring uh, in thinking about the widow and the life of abundance. So I want to read a piece of this to you and, and let it sit on your spirit. Just for this day, I will accept that I cannot solve all of my problems at once. I will take at least one small step forward. Just for this day, I will live in this moment, right here, right now. I will set aside my fears of the future, my regrets of the past, accepting everything exactly as it is in this moment. Just for this day, I will face my life with courage. With the help of God and my friends, I have what I need to live through whatever this day brings. Just for this day, I will be of service. I will help someone else, and I will allow someone to help me. Just for this day, I will refrain from comparing myself to others. I will honor my own unique gifts and experiences. Just for this day, I will set aside set aside time for quiet reflection, prayer, and meditation. I will let this nourish and replenish my soul. Just for this day, I will be grateful for the abundance in my life. I will recognize there is enough money, enough time, and enough love. And I've always liked that. And I, I think if we can meditate on that a little bit, we can live a life more of abundance and be like the widow and uh, feel full, full enough to give a lot. Let me read a couple of LDS hymns that I think speak of abundance. I'm a big lover of hymns. I will not sing them because that's not what I'm good at. But I, I want to read a few passages from two hymns that I think... Um, give this idea of abundance. The first is the Lord, my pasture will prepare. Um, hymn 109. The Lord, my pasture will prepare and feed me with the shepherd's care. His presence will my want supply and guard me with a watchful eye. My noonday walks he will attend and all my silent midnight hours defend. And the next hymn is the Lord is my shepherd. And this is hymn 108. The Lord is my shepherd. No want shall I know. I feed in green pastures, safe folded I rest. He leads my soul where the still waters flow, restores me from wandering, redeems when oppressed. In the midst of affliction, my table is spread. With blessings unmeasured, my cup runneth over. With perfume and oil, thou anointest my head. Oh, what shall I ask from thy providence more? And these words uh, speak to me of abundance, the abundance uh, in this case of Christ being in your life in a very full way, filling it up with blessings and positive things. And if we can look at our life in that way and frame it in that way, I think we can feel like we live a life of abundance. And so that's uh, my thought on the widow's might for today. And I do think that the widow perhaps lived the more abundant life than the others and was able to give more. So I hope that that inspires you to uh, view your life in that way. Uh, overall, I felt like the women that spoke in general women's session uh, were inspiring and did a good job of focusing on the Savior. And I hope some of these thoughts were inspiring to you as I reflected upon these talks. And I'll be back in another week or so to share more ideas about women in the church. Um, 
Until then, may the Lord lead you, guide you, walk beside you, and help you find your way.